Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Amen. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, turn, greet somebody. So glad that you're here today. Happy 4th of July. Um, so... It wasn't necessarily meant to be timed this way, but coffee is back, if you didn't notice. So we're celebrating that little bit of freedom there. Um, and uh, the, there is currently, we're doing coffee in the cafe. Uh, you can bring it into service if you'd like. Um, but um, it was gone for a while. Now it's back and uh, hopefully not going anywhere. Um, today... I want to talk about greatness, um, and I want to talk about individual greatness. It's the 4th of July, and I'm not going to do a message about our nation, but I'm going to do a, a message about us as individuals, and I believe that it still applies to the nation. Um, and the title of today's message, It's Never Too Late to Be Great. Deuteronomy 28, 13 says this, The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord, your God, that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be the top and never at the bottom. God says, I will make you great. Now, I know the way that we think. And, and I, can, I can tell you, we'll, we'll sit there and be like, great, I know that verse is in the Bible. I love it. I could have been great. You know, there was a way, if I hadn't done that, you remember Napoleon Dynamite and the guy's like, well, if I hadn't blown my knee out, then I was going to, you know, and so many of us have this, this image of, well, yeah, there was a way, but then, you know, I made that mistake and I, I had that injury and you know, I, I made that life choice, and I chose to work there, and I dropped out of that school, or I married so-and-so. Or, or we look at it and say, well, but I'm not the very top. The other day, crack me up, my, my son comes to me, he says, did you know that Jim Bezos is the richest man again? He beat Elon, Elon Musk? I'm like, did I know? Did, why would I know that? Why would I be paying attention to who the most, like my, my son with the internet and they're, you know, they, they just know these things. And he's like, well, he was the richest and then so-and-so, then he got beaten, then he beat him and, and he's back and forth. And the other thing is when we think, you know, hey, God has said you can be the head. And, well, well, I'm not going to be richer than him. So what's the point? You know, I can't be the very, very. So what's the point? But here's the thing. Let's think about it for a minute. Let's just take some of the richest people in the world. What do Jim Bezos and Elon Musk need? They need, God, they need love, acceptance. They, they need the same things that you and I need. They need forgiveness for their sin. They need meaningful relationships, encouragement. They, need, they have a desire to feel that their lives matter and has purpose. It doesn't matter if you are the richest person in the world or the poorest person in the world. You have a desire for all of those things. It doesn't matter your ethnicity, your community, your society. We don't have to live a life without purpose. 
We all have an opportunity to be great. We all seek a sense of accomplishment. I was reading something the other day, and they were saying that the substitutes for accomplishment are easier accessed than they have ever been. Now, I, I was watching with, with some of my family, we were watching a show called Alone. And in this show, they stick a bunch of people out in the middle of the wilderness, and they just say, you know, here's a bunch of GoPros, record yourself trying to survive alone. And in this particular episode, it was for 100 days, and they had all of these people that were, that were off to the side. And it intrigued me because of the things that they would try to do. You know, the goal is to just survive. And one of them is like, well, I found a barrel. I think I'm going to strap wood to the barrel, and I'm going to make it into a little floating boat that I can sit on, and maybe I'll catch more fish if I'm 30 feet out. And they spend like hours and hours and hours and hours of energy trying to create a boat that they can ride instead of just fishing from another spot along the shore. Well, they had nothing else to do, but they wanted to accomplish that. Like, they just, there is a drive within us to accomplish things. But what do, do we do now? We get a moment when we are bored and we reach in our pocket and we pull out our phone and we start to accomplish something. You know, let's see what I accomplished. How many likes did I get? Well, let me pull up, you know, Angry Birds or, or, or something. I'm just going to accomplish something. And they were talking about how in previous generations, in order to feel a sense of accomplishment, you went out and accomplished something. And how some people have replaced accomplishment in the world with accomplishment, like artificial accomplishment in video games. And I'm going to go beat another level and then I'll feel accomplished. I'm going to, to post something and it's going to get a lot of, of attention and I'm going to feel like I accomplished something. And, and that sense of accomplishment isn't, is artificial. And we live vicariously. Sometimes we just sit back and watch a movie of someone else accomplishing something. Yeah. Go team. We watch someone else, you know, our favorite team beat someone else. And it's not wrong to sit back and enjoy a football game. It's not wrong to, to play a video game, but recognize that the drive for those things comes from a God-given desire to accomplish something. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. Now, as long as God's promise that we should go in and rest with him still stands, the one thing we should fear one thing we should fear. Are you ready? What is one thing you should fear? Is that any of you think he has missed his chance. The one thing we should fear is that any of you should think he has missed his chance. I got to thinking about biblical examples and at first, I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to think of examples of people who might have missed their chance. And then afterwards, I was like, you know, I might have a hard time finding someone who isn't an example of someone who had an opportunity to think that they missed their chance. Just going through the scripture, we think of the disciples and we think, Peter, well, he, he denied the Lord. 
He could have thought that missed a chance. He chopped off the ear. He attacked. He could have thought that that was going to cause him to miss his chance. We look in the Old Testament. Moses. Moses was so set up. Think about this for a second. Moses is an Israelite. He's born at a time when he's supposed to be killed. But instead of being killed, he's found by the Pharaoh's daughter, raised in the palace, taught how to be a leader in the elite schools by the Egyptians, but not completely isolated from his family because the the Pharaoh's daughter hired his own mother to be his nursemaid. So he's still connected to his real family, but he's getting trained by the Egyptian elite. He is so set up, but he has this desire inside of him, this purpose that he really wants to free and help the slaves. And so he's out there looking around one day, and the Bible says that he sees a couple of Slaves being mistreated by an Egyptian soldier. He goes in, stops the Egyptian soldier in the ensuing skirmish, whatever it was. He ends up killing that soldier. He hides him, thinks that nobody saw. And then discovers shortly thereafter, when he tried to break up a fight again, he still wanted to see. He wanted to help the slaves. And so he sees two slaves fighting amongst themselves. And he goes in there and he's like, hey, cut it out. Why are you fighting against each other? You guys aren't enemies. And they say to him, so are you going to kill us like you killed that soldier? And then he realizes, man, if these random two slaves know about it, that means everyone knows. And sure enough, word gets through. Pharaoh is, is going to like sends out an order for his arrest, he takes off. Now, here's the thing. God's plan was to use Moses to free the Israelites. He was so perfectly set up. He's already inside the government family. He's like right there. Have you ever considered that there might have been other ways that Moses could have freed the Israelites? He was on a path that looked ideal. And then he got overeager, and instead of waiting for God, he jumps in and apparently just screws it all up. He leaves in exile, goes for 40 years, lives in the desert watching sheep. And then we have the story of the burning bush. But really what that story is, is God just coming back and saying, hey, you think that your purpose is over. You think that you screwed up so bad that I can't still use you. But my purpose for you has not changed. I want you to, to consider this. Jesus, or God, sometimes I say Jesus when I'm thinking God, but you know what I mean. God says to Abraham, or Moses, excuse me, whew, says to Moses, I still have the plan for you that I had when you were first born. I want everyone to say this. God still has the plan for me that he had when I was first born. Do you believe it? Or do you think maybe you missed your chance? 
Because that is the one thing we're told to fear. Fear that we would miss the chance. That, that people would think, excuse me, that they missed their chance. God looks at us and he says, I have had a purpose for you since forever. And we get this in our head. Well, you know, I'm sure if I had stayed, you know, imagine Moses thinking, well, if I had stayed in the family and if I had gotten the promotions that were set up for me and if I hadn't killed that Egyptian and if I, or even if I had killed the Egyptian and no one had seen it, then maybe I could have still fulfilled God's purpose for my life. But I didn't. It didn't work out that way. Now I am 40 years outside of that. All the progress that I made inside the royal family is gone. But God still said, I want to use you. Paul, Paul was the worst choice for the teacher of the new church. Yeah, let's take the guy who's famous for trying to kill Christians and make him the traveling evangelist. You know, the Bible actually says that he struggled in the beginning of his ministry. He struggled because he would show up someplace with words from the Lord, and everybody was like, yeah, this is a scam. If, if we show up over there, he's going to eventually betray us to the authorities. And John Mark was someone who, who used his influence to give Paul influence. And then John Mark... In, in Paul's eyes, chickened out. And Paul's like, I want nothing to do with you. You, were, you weren't willing to do this thing. And then it's interesting that in the end of Paul's life, after having rejected John Mark, he says, hey, would you please send me John Mark? King David, we think of David as being this awesome Bible character. You know, we had, he, he killed Goliath, and then he was also the most famous and most beloved ruler of Israel ever. But you ever remember how many like mess-ups there were in between? He, he killed Goliath. Yes, he did. But he lived as a refugee in, in caves. He had a bunch of like misfit rebels that he was running with out there. He was in exile. He wasn't even allowed in his own country, which he would later rule, by the way, but he wasn't even allowed in his own country. And then he comes back, and then he becomes king, and then he goes and does something stupid again. And he falls for somebody else's wife, and he gets her pregnant, and then to, tries to cover it up, and then it doesn't work, and so then he has the husband killed... And he thinks nobody knows, and then God brings a prophet to him and points it out. Oh, he missed it. How many agree? He missed it, but he didn't miss his chance to fulfill God's purpose in his life. Because in spite of blowing it over and over and over again, God still fulfilled his purposes with and through him. I have a little graphic here. Can we throw that up? We oftentimes imagine what success will look like. Like, uh, I'm here, and I'm going to get to success. And when I get there, everything's going to be great. You know, first, I'm going to, you know, get out of, I'm going to graduate high school, and then I'm going to get a degree. And I'm going to get a degree in the perfect degree, by the way. Whatever I choose to study, that's what they're going to pay me to do later. You realize 76% of people do not work in the field for which they have a degree? FYI. So, 
They imagine, though, I'm going to choose the perfect degree, and then I'm going to work in that field. And then people every year are going to pay me more and more and more and more and more to do that. And then eventually, I'm going to be perfectly successful. Did we find that? We did not find it. All right, I'll describe it to you. A straight line going gradually up towards success. That's what we imagine it looks like. What it really looks like is a very bumpy, curvy, swervy line with peaks and valleys, challenges and victories, up and down until we eventually reach success. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, his own, this is the Amplified Version, his own masterwork, a work of art, created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and ready to be used for good works. What were we created for? Good works. Which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set, so that we would walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged for us. Faith is an act. It's not just a belief. Having faith in God's plan and purpose isn't just sitting there thinking, yep, somehow, some way, I believe that God has a purpose for me. I'm going to wait until he forces it on me. The Bible says faith without works is dead. The Bible says you ask to see my faith, I say I'll show you my works. We need to do something. Napoleon Hill famously said, nobody is impressed with the win-loss record of a referee. We need to get engaged in fulfilling God's purpose. Why? Why do we want to be great? Why do we want to accomplish something? Is it for me? The Bible says that it's so that he can be glorified. To glorify our Father who is in heaven. Matthew 20, verse 26 says, Yet it shall be not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, paying the price to set them free from the penalty of sin. We have been called to serve. Our greatness is not measured in notoriety. Our greatness is not measured in likes. Our greatness is not measured in followers. The Bible says that if we desire to be the greatest, let that person be a servant. Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine in front of men. Then they will see the good things you do and will honor your Father who is in heaven. Another translation says, And glorify your Father who is in heaven. God has designed us for good works. He wants us to serve. Now, I want to give an example of how service just impacts people in ways that nothing else can. There's a story of a man named Michael Weiss and another fellow by the name of Larry Trapp. They lived in the same town. It was Lincoln, Nebraska. And 
it was in the early 1990s. So Michael noticed that there were a bunch of new people moving in to this town, which, if you are familiar with the middle of Nebraska, tends to be pretty homogeneous. It's just farming communities. My cousins live very near there. And there's just not a lot except farming going on. But in his town, there were different folks coming in of different ethnicities. And so he began to create welcome baskets for them. Didn't want them to feel like outsiders. However, there was another, another this is Michael. Now, in the same town was Larry Trapp. Larry Trapp was a grand dragon in the local KKK. He noticed the same thing. But instead of welcome baskets, he would anonymously call those people, threaten them, that if they didn't move, that he would do them harm. And so Michael is trying to meet these new people, and Larry is trying to scare them away. And Michael starts to hear about these threatening calls as he's bringing the welcome baskets. They're like, well, thanks for this, but we got a call the other day. And he starts to try and figure out where, who's making these calls. And he finds, figures out it doesn't take long because Larry has quite the reputation in town. He discovers who it is. So Michael calls him up. And without making any mentions of the threat, he goes on and he did some research and he discovered that Larry, the KKK leader, was a severe diabetic and was in a wheelchair. And so Michael calls him up and says, hey, I've heard, you know, this is your situation. He says, I have a large vehicle, a van. If you ever need a, a ride to the grocery store or something, let me know. Not a chance. <laughs> the next day, can you still do that? He had a medical emergency. He needed some help. So Michael is now driving Larry around. And Larry knows what Michael is doing and how Michael is trying to welcome these people and how he's basically doing the exact opposite of what he's trying to do. But over time, just that serving heart broke him down. Larry got saved. He renounced his position in the KKK. How was he won over? Service. Just being treated with love. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. When we speak to other people, when we serve other people. See, greatness, true greatness isn't inheritance. It's not inherited by, from who you are. It's not notoriety. It's not being famous. You know, we have people in today's society who are just famous for being famous. And that's it. But that's not true greatness. It's not your income. Because how many of you realize your income will eventually no longer be there, no matter how much money you amassed? Greatness isn't just talent. There's so many people who are talented and then don't use any of that talent for the purpose which God gave them that talent for. You realize God has gifted us. We have talents. 
And God has a way through which he intends to use that talent to glorify him. True greatness is living your life in a way that when you face God, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You accomplished what I set out for you. True happiness is found in service. Over and over and over and over, and I didn't bother to look up the statistics this particular time or the studies, but you can do it yourself. Over and over, when they do studies on happiness and they say, what will make people happy? They, they, they discover that after just reaching a mediocre income, more money does not equal more happiness. Having enough money to, to eat improves happiness. But once you get there and your basic needs are supplied, adding money to it doesn't make people happier. And they've done tons of different studies. And so many people have thought, oh, I'm going to figure out what makes people happy. And they think it's going to be fame. They think it's going to be money. They think it's going to be those things. And it's not. And to their surprise, every time, they discover it is people who serve others who are the, consistently the most happy. Those who have a purpose outside of themselves are consistently the most content. Just think about it for a second. Even the secular psychologists, they go through all the work to study it and figure out, you know what, getting rich won't make you happier. But having a purpose that includes serving. Then we go back to that scripture and we think, man, God really knew what he was talking about when he said, the greatest among you will be the servant. He didn't mean, like, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I read that verse and I thought, well, I, I guess in order to be great, you have to be miserable serving others. I don't, anybody ever think that? You don't have to raise your hand, but you're like, look at the verse and you're like, oh, well, I guess if I want to achieve greatness... I'm going to have to suffer through serving others for a while. Is there sacrifice involved in serving? Absolutely there is. Will there be moments that will feel like suffering? Absolutely there will be. But you know what? The alternative also has those moments. I mean, we were using Bill Gates as an example. We know right now his whole family is just falling apart. His money did not save his family. You can't buy contentment. There are so greatness. It's, it's not popularity. It's not talent. As we said, there are so many celebrities with all of this. Greatness does have a cost. It does have a cost. A lot of it is the opportunity cost. If I'm doing this, then I'm not doing that. If I'm going to fulfill God's purpose in my life, there are some things I, you know, I might might have to adjust my habit of binge-watching every show in 24 hours. I might have to change how I live. Greatness isn't immediate, but it can start immediately. Genesis 24.1 says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. 2 Samuel 3.1 says, Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and David, but David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. We see things took place over time. Luke 2.54 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. It takes time. Joseph 
You remember the story of Joseph? Joseph was given a dream by God. Several dreams. He had 12 brothers. And in his dream, first he sees, I don't remember, maybe it was first. He had the sun and the moon, and he also had the, the, the sheaves, and I don't remember which one was first. But he has multiple dreams where first, or again, sorry for saying first, it might be second. The sheaves lay down and obviously in submission to him, his parents and all of his siblings. And then he has an, another dream where the sun and the moon, his parents, and the, the 12 stars all submit to him. And he has the brilliant idea of telling his older brothers, hey, I keep having these awesome dreams where you all submit to me. <laughs> and then his dad gives him the coat of many colors. And his brothers are like, oh, he's, he has dad's favor. He's dad's favorite. We need to get rid of him. They plot to kill him. One of his brothers decides, well, that might be on my con bother my conscience too much. Let's just sell him into slavery. Let someone else kill him. And so they do. It was at least 17 years before he was promoted. Years and years later, he had setbacks, but his purpose was never derailed. Greatness came time. Now, the, the interesting thing about Joseph's story is that if we were graphing his success, he starts out here, he becomes the favorite, he gets sold into slavery, he makes it up into the, the top of his family that he's a slave in, he be, wins their favor, then he gets falsely accused by the, his owner's wife, and he gets imprisoned, and then he's in prison for multiple years. Now, if we were to graph this, He's, he's doing this number. It just keeps getting worse. And then, you remember the story, he interprets the dream of the king's cupbearer. And he tells him, hey, remember me when you're back in front of the king. Goes back, guy forgets about him. So he's still down there until the day that the king has a dream he needs to have interpreted. Here's the thing. Joseph is at the very, very bottom. But God has been setting things up for years. That dream that he interpreted, that he asked, hey, would you remember me when you get back to the king, into the king's favor? Remember to mention me. He gets back into the king's favor. Years go by. But then he gets called in. And in less than 24 hours, he goes from the lowest point in his life to being second in command of the strongest nation known. Like second most powerful human on the planet from prison. God was setting it up. We look at that and say, it all happened in 24 hours. No, it didn't all happen in 24 hours. God was setting it up all along. He was continuing to be faithful. The Bible tells us that raise up your child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I tell parents all the time, it doesn't say, and at no point will he ever, ever make a dumb choice. But if you plant the right seeds, keep praying. Keep going. Greatness is not immediate, but you can start today. It is a process we are to be working on. Greatness doesn't need everyone's approval, 
Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. We don't achieve God's purposes by seeking God's, man's approval. Oftentimes, doing the right thing will make others uncomfortable. It takes focus. It might be a, a difficult decision. You, you can't believe one thing and live another and fulfill the fullness of your purpose. Be integrity. Be integrous. The other thing is, greatness is so often revealed in hardship. So many times. Oh, I cannot count the number of times that I have talked to people who tell me, hey, I'm going through something difficult. I think I should quit it all. My, my workplace is challenging. I think I should quit, start from scratch somewhere else. My, my child, who I'm trying to raise, is, is challenging. I think I blew it. I should give up. Just work on the younger ones. My marriage, it's not what I expected it to be in this moment. Everything is, it, it's, it's difficult. I think I should just quit. No, no. Challenges reveal greatness. Challenges reveal greatness. David wasn't great because he hit a frog with a slingshot. We don't tell the story of David and the frog. It's David and the giant. It is the adversity and overcoming that adversity that we celebrate. We recognize that without a challenge, there isn't a victory. When we look at our situation and we see that we're in a difficult place, our first thought shouldn't be, I've missed my chance, I should quit. Our first thought needs to be, God knew from the beginning that these challenges would be here. How does he instruct me to face them? How do I face these challenges faithfully to God's calling to his purposes and recognize that when we do that, the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. When we step forward in spite of the challenges, seeking, that's when we see. The Bible says that all of this, he does this for his glory. You remember the story of Gideon? That one always throws me for a loop. So Gideon hears from God, I am calling you to fight the big bad guys, the Midianites who have been ruling over them, oppressing them, just hardcore. And he's totally scared. And God says, I've called you to do it. Go out there, raise up an army. He takes a lot of convincing, but he finally does it. And he raises like over 30,000 soldiers. And you can totally see it in his mind. It's like, maybe this is going to work. Like, just me. I mean, I didn't, me, why did he pick me? I, I, would, I don't know why he did it. But, wow, 30,000 plus people all going to fight with me as their leader. Maybe this is going to work. Remember what happened in the story? God says, tell everybody who's afraid they can just go home. And you can imagine the like, pep talk he wants to give in advance. 
He's like, we're not afraid, are we? Yeah, 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 rah, 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 rah. By the way, anybody who's afraid, you can go home. Boom, thousands and thousands of people leave. It's like, oh, not the point. And then God looks and says, now have them go down to the river and drink. And everybody who sticks their face in the water goes home. Everybody who vigilantly keeps watch while they drink gets to stay. And you can totally know he's like watching. It's like, I don't see anybody doing the hand thing. What? Where are they? Where are they? He says that 300 of the original 30,000 plus are there. Now, if we were looking at that the way that we tend to look at our own lives, we would look at that and say, well, I guess God's not going to do anything. I mean, look at the way that the cards are being stacked against him. Man, difficulty. I'm having challenges at work, challenges in my marriage, challenges at home, challenges in my family, challenges, 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 challenges. I guess, I guess I'm just not going to succeed. It doesn't look good. And then God delivers them at the hand of that tiny little army. And then God explains why he did it. And he says, it's because I wanted people to recognize that it was me who saved you. Not because you just happened to recruit, you know, the you know, surprisingly large army. He says, no, I want them to realize that God accomplished this. Can God trust you with greatness? Will you stay humble? Will you continue to help others? God told Abraham, I'll make you great. I'll make your name great. When we face challenges, what do we do? Do we quit? Do we give up? Many of you have probably heard this, this list before. But I'm going to read to you the life of someone whose name you recognize. But I won't tell you who it is until the end. So, he was abused by his father and his mother died when he was nine years old. His sister died when he was 16. At age 22, he failed in business. At age 23, he ran for legislator and was defeated. At age 24, he failed again in business. At age 25, he was elected to the legislature. At age 26, his sweetheart died. At age 27, he had a nervous breakdown and was on suicide watch for 24 hours. At age 29, he was defeated for speaker. At age 31, he was defeated for the elector for the Electoral College. At age 34, he was defeated for Congress. At age 37, he was elected into Congress. At age 39, he was defeated for Congress. At age 46, he was defeated for Senate. At age 47, he was defeated for Vice President of the United States. At age 49, he was defeated for Senate. At age 51, Abraham Lincoln was elected President of the United States. The trajectory, like, we think about the success Proverbs 24, verse 16 says, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. We are not defined by our perfect trajectories towards success. We are not defined by perfection. We are defined by God's hand in our life, by our faithfulness and our trust in his purposes. The Bible says the righteous man falls, but he gets back up again. In today's message, the one thing that I want to come through, I, said, I just don't want anyone to think 
I missed my chance. God called me to something, and, and it is no more. I do not care if you are the oldest person in this room. Your purpose still remains intact. Moses was 80 years old at the burning bush. It wasn't over. Over and over and over, we just see how God continues. He puts a calling on someone. I think I've shared the story here, but I'm, I'll share it one more time if I didn't. When, when I was in, I think, high school, um, we were renting out a room in our house, and there was an elderly lady in the church who rented out that room, and her name was Lynn. Lynn, when she was 18 years old, went to Bible school, felt like she was called to be a missionary. Went through Bible school, got out of Bible school, needed a car, took out a loan, needed a job to pay for the loan, worked at the job, paid off the car. By the time that was done, she needed another car. Just went through life. Never got married, but never ended up on the mission field. She was in her late 50s, early 60s, somewhere right in there kind of expecting to just fizzle into nothing. She was renting a room in our house, and we went on a family vacation to Mexico. And for whatever reason, my parents said, hey, if you want to come along, join us. So she came along. We got down there. I think we were in Guadalajara, Mexico at the time. And there was a school there that needed some help. And she was along with us, and she's like, well, I would like to, I, I, I would be willing to help. <laughs> the funny thing is, she's like, well, and they're like, well, when would you like to, to start? And she's like, well, I guess I need to go back. And No, I'll start right now. She didn't come back from vacation. Like, ever. At, and again, I don't remember her exact age, late 50s, early 60s. She became a missionary. That was the call that she felt and recognized on her life when she was 18. When God looks at you, he doesn't see derailed purposes. He sees the same purpose that he saw in you the day you were born. And he says the one thing we should fear is that we would think we missed our chance. Don't think that you missed your chance. The righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. But the wicked falls. The MO, it doesn't say the righteous never struggles. doesn't say the righteous has a perfect life. doesn't say the righteous tra trajectory is perfectly flat. No, it says that the righteous man gets back up again. We have David. We have Peter. We have Paul. We have so many biblical examples of people who messed up. And let me tell you something. David, I'm pretty confident he messed up worse than most of us in this room. His mess-ups were epic. Cheating on someone and then having the husband murdered. Don't raise your hand, but I can't beat that one. But God used him. And when he repented, God still described him as a man after his own heart. Wow. We'll close with that. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for the purposes that you have planted in each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that no one hearing my voice today, hearing your words from Scripture, would believe that it is too late and that their purpose is no longer achievable. 
Lord, I just pray that you would encourage everyone to hold on, to continue forward, to fulfill those callings that you have put in their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you know that your sins are forgiven, that you're right with God, I want to ask you to raise your hand. You know that you'd spend eternity in heaven if you passed away today. The Bible says, know that you have salvation. If you're watching today, if you're here today and you look around and you say, well, how do they know? I mean, I hope that I'm okay with God. I hope that I'll be right with him. I hope. Some people think, I hope that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds and that I slide into heaven. But the Bible doesn't say that's how it works. The Bible says you can know and then it tells you how. In Romans 10, 9, and 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. Period. That's what it says. If you desire to know that you're forgiven, know that you're saved, we want to take and give you that opportunity right now. With every eye closed, just for a moment, I want to ask you, and if you're watching or listening online or on the radio, I want to encourage you. If that's you and you want to know then raise your hand and we'll say that prayer together. Is there anybody here? Just raise your hand. In case someone is watching, let's, let's say this prayer together with them. Say, dear God, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and that you rose from the dead. I make you the Lord of my life. I accept your forgiveness in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.